0: Lord, this morning, we want to pursue you out of a pure heart. We open ourselves to you this morning. We like to invite your speaking. We like to invite your presence. Speak a word to our intrinsic being. Speak a word into our heart. We turn our heart to you right now. Gain what you want, Lord. Gain what you want from us. We like to give ourselves to you. Doing this meeting beyond what we could do, Amen. speak what we can't speak. Amen. We'd like you to move among all the young sisters, Amen. give each one to you, Amen. give ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. Uh, this morning, we come to message two, which is entitled. The victory of the young descendants of God's, of the young overcomers of God's degraded elect over the demonic diet. And what I would like to do before getting into this message is I would like to give a little review. Uh, Last night we had a, a marvelous opening word on this matter of having dispensational value to God. In the last days, to turn the age. And uh, for the sake of all of us, and for the sake of any who came late last night, we just like to uh, touch this matter again. That we can be those in this age that have dispensational value to God. Dispensational value to God. Amen. When God works on the earth, He moves through different ages. He moves age by age. It's how God moves among mankind. And when God moves in one age, He moves for the purpose of His image and His dominion, for the purpose of His glory, His expression, and for the purpose of His authority. It's why God moves. It's what's on God's heart. If you want to know something about God, You have to know these two matters. The matter of glory, His expression, and the matter of authority, dominion. God cares from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation for these two things. And when God moves in an age, He moves with these two things in view. Unfortunately, when God moves in one age, eventually the men in that age become degraded. As a result, God's glory and God's dominion are set aside. And so God must have a new start. He works in an age like with Adam. He created Adam with his image, with his dominion. Eventually, we saw last night, the created race degraded to the point where God just said, he regretted from making man. Because man had become... A mixture due to the fallen angels and their union with humanity. God came to a point where he could no longer do anything anymore. So he had to have a new start. Whenever God needs a new start, he can't just have the new start on his own. He must have someone at that juncture who he can use to turn the age. This is the principle in the Bible. At critical points in history, there have been some who, according to the principle of the Nazarite, that is the principle of voluntary consecration, have given themselves to the Lord. And by that, by that consecration, God, in a period when He could do nothing, found a way to have a new beginning. He found it with Noah. Eventually, the flood came, there was a new age, things were glorious, mankind again began to degrade. Eventually, all the way to the point of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, they did three things there, they rejected God, they exalted man, and they worshipped the idols. They said, let's make a name for ourselves and build a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. Eventually, God came to the same spot that he had been before, where he could do nothing with created race. So he had to have a new beginning. And just as he needed a person before to turn the age at Noah's time, when it came to Genesis 11, he needed another person in order that he could have a new move. He found that in Abraham, and the age turned. Yeah. Noah had dispensational value to God. You know what that means? That means his life had meaning with regard to the change of events in God's favor. Amen. You know, some people, they live their life. They go through life. And of course, I've never been a, a high school young sister, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I do have a daughter. So I have a little qualification, and I have a wife. And I know, as a young person, there are things, ambitions, desires, considerations, thoughts, even philosophies that you go through that govern your life. Have you ever asked yourself, what does my life mean on this earth? And after everything is done and said, what kind of value will my life have to God? You know, some people, they give their entire life to education. They become a professor. They teach. They go from campus to campus. They give seminars. They go on sabbaticals. They have their PhDs. Some have two PhDs. Then they end their life and on their gravestone is written, very smart person. That person had academic value in this age. You know, I read one little story and there was a person and on their tombstone, it had something written like this. This person was able to pour wine really well. Wow. This person had wine pouring value. Would you like that on your tombstone? Maybe you govern your life. The philosophy of your life is, the meaning of my life is to be a kind person. This is what it means for me. I want to be someone that when I'm around them, people are always happy. And when I say a joke, they always laugh. They always feel cheered around me. You live your life this way in ninth grade. You live it in tenth grade. You graduate from high school. You go through college, you get married, you have kids, you get old, you have grandchildren, you die, they write on your tombstone, this person had hmm, joke-making, cheering, laughter creation value to this earth. But I like to ask you, there are some people when they die they have what's called dispensational value to God. That means they were like Noah, who when God, when he could do nothing more, provided a way through their personal consecration to give God a way to have a new beginning. God found himself in desperate need with regard to his image, with regard to his dominion, with regard to his glory. With regard to his authority. And there was no one on the earth. Who would pray it. Even among his people. And yet there were some. Against all odds. When no one else knew. They said Lord. I'm here. Use me. I'm here. Use me. Their friends didn't know what was going on in their heart. The world didn't know what was going on. The news broadcast stations never proclaimed the magnitude of what they did. But when they died, when they died, they had dispensational value. And on everyone's books, maybe their life was meaningless. But on God's record, he said, this young sister, Turned the age. There was one point on the outline yesterday. And it said this. When God makes a dispensational move, he always uses young people. Do you believe that? Young sisters, do you believe that? Let me ask you this. Do you believe God can use you to turn the age? He did it through Noah, he did it through Abraham, eventually he did it through Daniel. He did it through the apostles. When the Bible became hidden from view, there was another need of God to open the Bible. He did it through Martin Luther. You know, the dark ages, you could call it the dark dispensations. When we say dispensation, we mean an age which is a period of time in which a particular divine revelation predominates the affairs of mankind. It's a period in history. During the Dark Ages, does anyone know? A little history lesson here. How long were the, the uh, Dark Ages? Any high school young person? Were they five years? Ten years? 120 years? Were they 120 years? Good try, but, but, but longer. A thousand years. A thousand years of dark ages. Can you imagine a thousand years of God saying to himself, I want to change the age, but I can't. Why? Because I need someone who sees the need that what matters on my heart is my glory and my authority? Is there anyone in the face of all that's going on would say, I would like to give my life to express the Lord? And when everyone else is rebellious, when everyone else rejects God, they say, I want to give my life To come under the Lord's headship. To be under the Lord's kingship. To be under His lordship. Where others say no, I like to say amen to the Lord. Where others say there's no God, I like to say God is my king. It's small. But we want to let you young sisters know we've been praying for you. And this message is not primarily to try and stir you up or inspire you in an outward way. It's to encourage you this morning to think about it. Have you taken a moment ever? A walk through the woods. A walk alone and told the Lord, I need a time with you. Because I can do anything I want with my life. It's my own. But I would like to have a transaction with you that allows you to do in me what you need that I could have dispensational, age-turning value. Eventually, we know that Brother Tom helped us to read that verse last night. It says in Revelation 12.10, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of His Christ, and the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. You know, that little now is very significant. It's a demarcation with regard to, to the events of human history, now indicates that something prior was not, but that now something has happened. And what has happened? It says the kingdom has come. God wants to change the current age to the age of the kingdom, which means that we are on the brink of the most significant dispensational change in human history. That's the age of grace in which we live in to the age of the kingdom. You may not believe it. You may say, I've heard this before. Whether you believe it or not, God's word makes it very clear that we are at the juncture of a turn of the age. Amen. But I want, what I want you young sisters to realize is this. God can't turn the age. Without you. I mean it. He can't turn the age without you. And so the kind of person God uses. Are those who voluntarily consecrate themselves to God. You know at Samuel's time. There were the priests. And the priests they served God. That's what they did. They took the sacrifices. They offered them. They should have been the ones so much for God's glory and so much for God's authority. That should have been the primary thing on their heart. At Samuel's time, though, those who were ordained priests were not doing their job. And God found himself, he couldn't do what he needed to do. So he needed Samuel as a Nazarite. And Brother Tom spoke about the Nazarite. You know, to become a priest... There are two particular things that are needed. Number one is, you have to be born in the house of Aaron. Can you imagine? Let's say all of you sisters were the children of Israel, and these four sisters were the only ones who were born in the house of Aaron. Okay? So that means all of the rest of us could not be priests, but they could. Okay, the second thing is, you had to be a male. So I shift. All of these ones are those who could be priests. The rest of us could not. Very interesting in number six. Who notices number six? How many times have you read number six? You know, we read David and Goliath. I love David and Goliath. We read Daniel in the lion's den. But how about number six? Number six gives it a side door through which everyone can become a priest. Male, it says, or female. Whoever you are. A Nazarite, you know the word Nazarite? The root word is Nazar. Nazar. And that word means separation. Separation. So a Nazarite separates themselves from four things. The first thing is from anything that issues from the grapevine, which means that a Nazarite separates themselves from all worldly pleasures by taking Christ as their unique enjoyment. A Nazarite also separates themselves by having long hair, which means a Nazarite separates themselves from rebellion Coming under the headship of Christ. You know, Brother Lee said he's found it a blessing to always be under someone, under something, and under some environment. A Nazarite has a submissive spirit and a submissive atmosphere to the Lord. And a Nazarite also separates themselves, not only from these two things, but from natural affection. And from deadness, by exercising their spirit to contact the Lord. And the principle of a Nazarite is willing, voluntary consecration. Let me ask you, uh, sisters, um, do you realize how important is this matter of voluntarily consecrating yourself to the Lord? That means giving yourself to the Lord when no one forces you. When no one's making you. Just out of curiosity, how many of you young sisters uh, drive? H- how many can drive now? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. This is just high school, right? 17, okay. Okay, about 17 sisters can drive. Okay, how many of you, 17 sisters, can drive alone. That means you've gone beyond the permit phase, and now you have your license. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, wow, Seven, eight, nine, ten. OK. So we've 10. OK. Um, and just to make sure everyone else is listening, how many of you have never driven a car by yourself? OK. Good. OK. You know, I don't know if you've, uh, those of you who haven't driven a car by yourself, you're really missing out. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I got into my Vega, my car. It was called a Vega. I don't know if they have Vegas anymore. Yesterday I drove in Nikhail's, he works for Toyota, and they just came out with a new car. Has it been sold on the market uh, yeah. it just came. in America? Yeah. Okay, it's a new car. Oh, it's nice. I got in it last night, and there's a little visibility thing and nighttime vision, right? It was a nighttime vision. I kind of looked at that, and I thought, wow, this is nice. <laughs> but I had a Vega. You know, as one of those cars, really old car. It drove so low to the ground that when I'd go over those speed bumps, I'd be afraid that I couldn't get over it. Because my wheels would go over, and then the bottom would scrape. If it was too big, I'd probably start to teeter-totter. Anyway, I never forget, I got into the car with my license alone. And you know, when I was driving, I started to drive, and oh, the feeling of being able to turn whichever way I want, because I want to. You know, all your life, you get in a vehicle, and you have to go a direction that someone else decides. Once you get into a vehicle all by yourself, oh, the feeling of independence. It's very nice, I have to admit. (laughs) And I remember driving, and I thought to myself at one point, there's a street over there. If I want to turn that way, I can. But maybe I won't. Yes, I will. And I turned. Donnie turned on his own. Just the feeling of being able to drive by myself. One day, it was time to go to the meeting. And as I was driving to the meeting, a thought crossed my mind that had never crossed it before. And I realized the meeting hall's that way. I have control of the wheel, and I'm alone. If I don't want to turn into the meeting hall this morning, I don't have to. And I just realized this is a new stage of my life. Mom's not around. Dad's not around. When they turn the wheel, I just have to go. Now the wheel is in my hands. And for the first time in my life, I realized whether I go to the meeting is voluntary of my own volition. And so I did. I turned into the meeting hall. It's what I always did. And I remember a few days later, a brother speaking a word about the golden lampstands signifying the churches. And something within me told me, At that time, I was working for Burger King. Do any of you work for Burger King? No? Do any of you work for a fast food restaurant? Okay, you're not missing anything. (laughs) And so, uh, I was working for Burger King, but you know, it, it was a job. The money I made was my own. The car that I had was my own. The gas I put in the car, I did it by myself, my own self. And when I drove to the meeting, I drove by myself. And that morning, I remember thinking to myself, I need to give myself to the Lord. Because no one's going to do it for me. I like to ask you young sisters, you may not be able to drive, but you control already the steering wheel to your life. Which way will you turn? The wheel of your life, will it be in God's favor? Or will you drive all the way to the tombstone and at the end, all they can say is this person was just a a common person living a common life. Our desire this morning is for you to realize that even the prayers that you make during this conference can have an effect on your entire life. And not only during this conference, but when you get down from the mountain, throughout your weekday, while you're going to school, is there not a better time at the beginning of this school year? So many events in human history are coming together. The natural calamities that we're experiencing on the earth are more frequent than before. The things happening in Israel are more indicative. Something's moving toward a different direction. And there's a desire for peace deep within man. The signs are before us. You're a young person. Few hear this word. And the choice is completely up to you. Tom can't make this decision for you. The serving one sitting next to you can't make the decision for you. Only you can make the decision, Lord, at this juncture in my life, I like to say, Here I am. It's all I can say, it's all I know how to say, it's all I'm able to say. But before my life passes away, I like to pray at least one time in my life, Lord. If it can be with me, I like to have dispensational value to God. I believe, young sisters, there's something in several of you that wants more than just a common Christian life. Brother Lee, in the little book called Fellowship to the Young People, he makes this statement, To be saved is good, but it's not completely satisfying. Deep within all of us is a hunger for God's purpose. This weekend, we want to present you God's purpose. So let's all come to the outline of Message to page 11. And let's read the title again of the conference, and then let's read what it says under Message 2, the title of this message, all together. The... Who turned the age, the victory of the young overcomers over the demonic diet. In the next four meetings, we are going to cover six chapters in Daniel. And if you look at these six chapters, it doesn't present things in the way of theology. You don't have the sense that there's teaching going on. It's not like someone's at a podium instructing an audience. What you have are cases in a very real sense. Each one is a story in its own. And by this story, we see something of a pattern of Daniel and his companions. This impresses us. When we have the feeling, I want to give my life to the Lord and I want to have dispensational value, right away there's a feeling of, How do you do this? How do I have dispensational value? The Lord in his word has provided us a pattern. Daniel and his companions are a pattern in all of the six chapters. And this morning, we begin with the very first chapter of Daniel. That is the victory of the young overcomers of God's degraded elect over the demonic diet. That is over the diet, the food that was offered to idols. And that which is offered to idols is linked to demons. And so when Daniel stood up as a voluntarily consecrated one for the sake of God's image and dominion, he was standing against an age that was demonic, against an age that followed idols. And he set his heart not to defile himself. Let's all read Roman numeral one together. The Lord, Lord used Daniel and his companions, Hemaniah, Mishael, and Azariah, to turn the age of the captivity of, of God's, God's people, people to the age of their return to the land of Emmanuel for the, the building up of God. God's, God's expression and authority. Amen. What we have here is that the Lord used Daniel and his companions. Let me draw something on the board here. And I know it's hard for several of you all to see. But maybe uh, what we can do is, when I draw it, I'll have those who can see declare out what's on the board so that those who can't see can speak something. Okay, so I'm going to draw something here. Uh, Tell me what this is. My drawing's not all that great. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a bad drawer. OK, what's this? South America. OK, good. That's pretty, bad. That's pretty bad, isn't it? OK, what's this? What's this? What's this? OK, you are here. OK, America, South America. Ugly picture? But it makes the point, OK? OK, so then what's this right here? What ocean? Atlantic. The Atlantic Ocean. OK. OK, then there's something over here, right? And what's that? Europe. Yeah. OK, Europe. OK, and then there's something down here. What's that? Very good. Africa. Okay. Okay, my drawing's not going to be all that great, but we'll just uh, draw something here. Okay, this right here is the land of Israel. This right here is the land of Babylon. Okay. Do I need to turn the board? Or can you all be sufficiently impressed? Should I turn it for a little bit? Yeah, Okay. America, South America, Europe, the Middle East, Babylon, Israel, Africa. America, South America, Atlantic, Europe, the Middle East, Babylon, Israel, Africa. You got it? Yes. Okay. Okay, a little history lesson. Tower of Babel started here, the land of Shinar. Eventually, God called Abraham out to Israel. Eventually, the people of Israel were in Egypt. Moses, with Joshua and Caleb, led them out of Egypt, back to Israel. Eventually, King Solomon rose. The temple was built, God's glory, because the glory of God filled the temple. And the throne was established, God's dominion. God had what he needed. It was a glorious situation. Then eventually, things began to degrade. And guess where man ended back up? What started here, progressed to here, went down to here, went up to here. At Daniel's time, went back down to here. The place where God at the Tower of Babel could do nothing more with mankind because his rebellion, that was a starting point. Eventually, God called Abraham, worked for his image and dominion through man, went through this process Eventually, God's elect, we're not talking about the worldly people, we're talking about God's people, went back down to Babylon. The situation at Daniel's time was so severe that eventually they found themselves in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. You may think this is a small thing, but I'd like to let all of you know Just as Babylon is a land of idols, it says in Jeremiah 50, 38, it's a land of idols, and they are mad with terrifying idols. That shows that the culture there, the characteristic there, was idolatry. You may think this is a story in a faraway land. I'd like to let you know, this right here and this right here In character, in nature, for those who can't see, where we are in America and the culture there in Babylon, it's the same. You think we don't live in a land of idols? You think we live in a place where there's no shrines? You may think we don't bow down to Buddha. We don't have some bald-headed man in our living room and bow down to this person. but the characteristic of the age that we are in is an age of idolatry. How many idols are in America? Tons of idols. Don't they even have like a TV show? Called, it has the word idol in it. Is there such a thing? There's such a thing. You're saying, well, Donnie, how do you know? I know because I live in LA and I don't know if it's the same in Fullerton Irvine, Long Beach Alhambra but there are poster boards all around of American Idol there's this one poster board where it has these faces and it just says who will be next And week after week, they cross out a new person. I've never seen the show, but my guess is it's a talent show. Is that right? Some are saying, I dare not say. (laughs) I might be exposed that I watched it. (laughs) Anyway, that's an idol. Eventually, I guess one person wins to be worshipped. You know, in Babylon, maybe the idols stood still. I believe today in America, the idols walk toward where you are. They come through the internet, through the iPod, through the newspaper, through the novels, through the people at high school, through the teachers, through the fantasies, the movies. It's hard to get away from the idols. If you don't believe America is full of idols, look at what people do Friday night. Saturday morning, Saturday night, Monday night. I worked with one person. Monday night football was everything to him. (laughs) He loved Monday night football. You know, what is that? Grown men with a pigskin ball, throwing it back and forth, tackling one another. And men love it, they love it. Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. It's the shrine day, the idol worship day of America. There was one sister who told my family one time that one of the days that people choke the most is on Super Bowl Sunday. And the food item that they choke a lot on is hot dogs. Men sitting in front of a TV, eating hot dogs, choking, dying. (laughs) What are you going to put on their gravestone? Good hot dog eater. (laughs) Died choking on a hot dog watching football. Do you want that kind of life? Or do you want a life that has meaning to God? What happened? And I just regret you all can't see. Daniel and his companions... Through their life, the direction that went this way turned this way. Because of Daniel's prayer, eventually the people in Babylon returned back to Israel for God's authority and for God's expression. Eventually you have ones like Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, governors who were under God's headship, caring for God's dominion. And you had Ezra and Joshua, priests, who they cared for God's glory, for God's expression. Why? Why did that happen? Because there were some young teenage boys in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, right in the place of idolatry, who did this, Lord, use me. Not all the young people with them took their way. If you look at the story it says that Nebuchadnezzar asked that the youth be brought in, some from the nobility, from, some from the royal seed. They were good in appearance. They could stand before the king. They had apprehension and wisdom, insight and knowledge. And there they were. And then it says this, and the king appointed their daily portion of the king's choice provision, and of the wine that he drank. And Daniel, actually it says, but Daniel, that word but is so significant, but Daniel set his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice provision and with the wine that he drank. He did something according to the principle of a Nazarite. He volunteered. It says he set his heart. No one else knew, but something was going on in Daniel's heart that was for God's interest. And because of that, that became the starting point for God to have a victory. It seemed God had lost it all. It was almost like Satan could say, God, you have nothing left. The temple was ruined. The vessels in God's house were brought from the house of God into the house of the temple of Nebuchadnezzar's God. The nation was ruined and God's people were in captivity. It's like Satan could say, ha-ha, ha-ha. You created man, but ha-ha, I ruined him. You thought maybe at Noah's time you could recover him, but ha-ha, lo and behold, Tower of Babel. Almost as if, it's the biggest mock. Here is God's people back in Babylon. What did God have? God's elect were there. He had four young boys who set their heart not to defile themselves with the king's choice provision. What did that mean? You may think, well, what's with the food? You know, suppose we are the four boys and it's dinner time. And you may think to yourself, well, what's a little delicious meat? The reason it was so important and so strategic to God that Daniel set his heart not to eat that meat is because Daniel saw that eating that meat was meat that Nebuchadnezzar had offered to his idols. And to eat meat offered to idols would defile him because it would join him to Satan. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, is the food offered to idols anything? It's not. But Paul said, but I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. That indicates that to eat that idolatrous food was to go along with an age that followed Satan. And to not eat that food was to care for God's glory by not worshiping the idols and to care for God's dominion by coming under God's word to not eat the unclean food. I don't know what it was like there, but for sure there was very meaningful what Daniel did. Let's go on to Roman numeral two. All together. The issue... they were given let's have all the high school young people read point A mm-hmm. all the serving ones point B and isn't that something they were taken back to the original place of the worship of idols serving ones on B the cat- <laughs> Amen. Now let's all together read Roman numeral 3, A and B. With the the principal <laughs> and, and his companions who were absolutely, absolutely one God with God in their victory over Satan's devices. Daniel and he was to God and unto God, from an age that follows Satan. We need to plead us and pursue Christ in the body and for the body with God-given companions, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Then let's all ch- turn to page 13. And on this matter of companions, I just like to, and I only have maybe about a little bit of time left, but I I, I want to touch two remaining points. One is this matter of companions. Something within us automatically feels when we talk about turning the age and being an age-turning person that we have to do this by ourselves. And in our Christian life, we often have this attitude that if I can't do it alone, I'm a failure. But a big secret in chapter 1 is that Daniel had companions. In that situation of idolatry, Daniel set his heart not to defile himself and he was there with his companions. It is critical for the longevity of our Christian life and our life with the Lord that we have a companion. If we read, looking at page 13, Daniel 2.13, it's the fourth section of scripture reading below. It says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they saw Daniel and his companions. Daniel and his companions. Then in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. He made the thing known to his companions. That means when there was something important to Daniel, he brought it to his companions, and they together prayed. They were a vital group. They were ones bound together. They went through things together. They stood against the king together. They refused the king's meat together. To go through this idolatrous age all alone is sure peril and hazard to you. We must, before the Lord, consider who do I have as a companion that I can pursue the Lord with? Then let's all read Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10, and 12. Together, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his companion. But so, woe oh, to the one who falls and does not have another to lift him up. And While a man may prevail against the one, the two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not. This is the word of the Bible. Two are better than one. It also says, but woe to the one who falls and does not have another to lift him up. You know, the Amplified Version says this. Woe to the one who is alone when he falls. Which indicates that if you're alone, you will fall. It's a matter of when. But if you have a companion, it's just a matter of if you fall. But if you fall, you'll have one to lift you up. I like to ask all of you young sisters, do you have someone who will lift you up when you fall? Do you have someone that you can pray with? I know sisters go through things, and some of them are difficult. And some of them are just trivial. But you know, when they come upon us, whether it's certain internal discouragements or it's a family matter, do you have someone you can pray with? I'll never forget one time I was so low. I was there alone at my house and I was just discouraged, down, out. And I got a call from a brother. And while we were talking, I did what Daniel did to his companions, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And that is, I just opened up. I said, you know what? There's this thing. It's on my heart. Can we pray? We just prayed a little bit to the Lord. I tell you, I was lifted up. The biblical word is lift him up. The biblical word is also woe to the one. I like this to ring in your ears. Woe to the one. Woe to you, woe to you in this age if you don't have a companion. When the Bible uses the word woe, it's a serious word. You cannot make it in this age alone. Maybe formally individuals could make it, but the year we live in, 2006, and the barrage that's coming directed, onslaught, to all the young sisters is too powerful to make it alone. And Brother Lee says, it's better because of the peril of the times. Oh, I like to repeat these words. It's better because of the peril of these times to have more than one companion, even to have three or four. 2 Timothy 2.22, the apostle told Timothy in the degraded age of the church, but flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness that is to pursue Christ as your righteousness. Faith, love, peace with those. What does it say? With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Then let's go ahead and do to time. Let's read through the rest of the outline. And uh, let's just enjoy these points together. And I will probably just say one or two sentences. And then we'll have a good time in our, our groups and I, I hope when we get into the groups, uh, talk to one another. Converse with one another. Nudge the person next to you and say, what are you going to do with your life? And have some resolutions and searchings of heart together. And pray for one another. Okay? All together, Roman numeral four. Nebuchadnezzar's was first his three companions. ...filed in partaking of his unclean food, food offered to idols. But Daniel and his companions, victorious over the demonic diet. They didn't eat. For a period of ten days, they had water and vegetables. Eventually, God honored them. The chief of the eunuchs saw that their faces were not more morose than others. They were actually healthier. And eventually, when they stood three years later before King Nebuchadnezzar, their wisdom was ten times that of any magician... So God honored their stand against the age by their taking the stand to eat the healthy things, which actually is to eat the tree of life Amen. for our supply. Amen. Point A. The first temptation that came to mankind turn to eating. In principle, all that are unto us are related to eating. Together on B. Amen. In his temptation of Daniel, his companions. Nebuchadnezzar also changed their names, which indicated that they belonged to God, to names that made them one with the... Let's have the high school sisters on one and the serving ones on two. The Hananiah, God, to the God, to the God. Serving ones. The name of Hananiah. Young people, three. The name of be like god. Terrible. Point four. Serving ones. The name has a fire, Jehovah is my help, was changed to Abendico, the faithful servant of the prior God. Just briefly, their names were changed, which indicated. That Satan wants to change your linkage to God. Daniel means God is my judge. That linked him to God. That is, he was saying, I want everything in my being that is not God to be judged. And I want to be constituted with God himself. With Hananiah, that means Jehovah is kind. That linked Hananiah to Jehovah to change his name to the enlightened enlightened by the sun God linked him to an idol. Satan wants to link you to the idols and erase from your designation any connection you have with God. Eventually we see with Mishael, who can be like God? And with Azariah, Jehovah is my help, that their God-given names were meaningful and linked them to God, made them one with God, but Satan gave them different names to link them to the idols to make them one with Satan. Point five altogether. Daniel and his companions did not play politics, both strength and bold, finding the battle by countering the devil's temptation with bold rejection, and received a blessing from God for their strong stand. A. Daniel and his companions. God bless Daniel and his three companions with knowledge and insight in all learning and wisdom. And bless Daniel especially with understanding in all visions and dreams. God bless Daniel. So we just conclude here, and I like to just conclude with this, and that is we just pray that all of you young sisters would have a transaction with the Lord. Go before him in light of this dispensation and tell the Lord, Lord, I like to have an appearing from you. To be an overcomer, as we will see, is not to be an individualistic, strong one. It's to be one who has companions who eats Christ as the healthy diet, who continues in their linkage with God, and who lives a life in the body of Christ. And so we just like to conclude with this way, that in this first message we have seen, in the midst of an idolatrous age, Daniel is a pattern to us of one who overcame the demonic diet, joined himself with companions, and gave God a way to turn the age.